It can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a book, but not knowledge. A friend sent me this note. Because money can buy a clock, but not time. It can buy a position, but not respect. It can buy medicine, but not health. It can buy blood, but not life. It can even buy sex, but not love. So you see, the note continued, money isn't everything, and it often causes pain and suffering. I tell you all this because I am your friend. And as your friend, I want to take away your pain and suffering. So send me all your money and I will suffer for you. Cash only, please. <laughs> he ended by writing, and you thought this was going to be one of those sappy inspirational messages, didn't you? <laughs> money, money, money. We talked last week about how the Apostle Paul could be content with his financial situation, his financial condition, whether it meant he was flush with cash or as poor as a church mouse. We don't even have mice here. We can't afford them, I guess. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We remembered that Paul wanted them to have the mind of Christ, which, he said, is that of one willing to become a servant and suffer death, even death on a cross in our place even though this person was and is the person of the Son, in very form, God. Thus, the nature of God is willing to be rich or poor in order to help us. And Paul says he can do the same, because Christ gives him strength to do so. We discovered that any believer can have this same attitude concerning material possessions if they allow Christ to strengthen them. Well, that's all wonderful and interesting to be sure. But what do we do with our money? <laughs> How about we get practical here? Okay, since you asked, <laughs> I know, I asked for you, but it's a really good question. Let's get really practical about money today. Last week, we also did another thing. We started with the idea of the misuse of Scripture. You know, when people pull one small piece out of the middle and they use it as if there was nothing else written in all of Scripture. We said that one combats that error by making sure that you read all the verses around it. Get the whole picture. Today, we'll use another method to make sure we don't misunderstand and misuse Scripture. We'll get a balance of thoughts from a wide variety of biblical writers all on this super hot topic, money. Hey, that's my money. That's my car. That's not your cheese. <laughs> Keep your hands off my stuff. I've even heard people say they don't want to come to church because all they ever do is ask for my money. Okay? But it's true that the proper use of money and possessions is critical. And Scripture recognizes this. A friend of mine who teaches financial stewardship, says that there are over 2,000 verses that he has found in the Bible dealing with money and possessions. More than 2,000. Now, I've never counted them, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he's right. In an effort to make this work for us, we won't discuss all 2,000. 
but we'll discuss the basic philosophy of money that involves only five items. Are you ready? Here's the five items that have to do with money. Always work. Always avoid debt. Always give some. Always save some. And always, always remember, it all belongs to God. Work, debt, save, give, and remember that it all belongs to God. We've got to get money right. It's important that we understand possessions right. It's like when the farmer called the church office in Iowa one day, and he said, can I please speak to the head hog at the trough? <laughs> the secretary was highly offended, and she said, if you mean the pastor, then you may refer to him as pastor or brother, but you may certainly not refer to him as the head hog at the trough. The man said, oh, sorry, well, I was planning on giving 10000 to your church's building fund, but hold on, secretary interrupted, the big fat pig just walked in. <laughs> Hard to get money right, okay? <laughs> well, what's, what's the first step in getting money right? Alright, first is always work. Okay, I know, this is biblical here, you ready? We'll start at the very beginning. Did you know God gave man a job before he even created him? It's true. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Huh. Man was given responsibility over all living things before he even breathed his first breath. Okay? And by the way, we should recognize what God had not yet given him. You see, okay, the man Adam, he's working in the garden, right? Then the Lord God said, It is not a good thing that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Well, that's interesting. There's always some young guy, or young guys, let's be honest. They just, they just don't want to work. <laughs> okay, they're old ones who don't want to work too, but let's worry about <laughs> We only do so much at a time. It's just not a good thing. So any ladies uh, looking to attach themselves to a man who is more talented at avoiding work than finding it <laughs> should maybe pay really close attention to this point here. More on that in a little while. Back to Adam and the first job. It's very important to remember that at this point, everything was still perfect. There was no sin. Okay, They hadn't sinned yet. None of that had happened. And they still had work to do. So work, working, is a good thing. Okay? I love to work myself, not everybody does, but it's a good thing to work. Ah, uh, but alas, this gets messed up. Adam sins and he drags all of creation and every one of us down with him. So God gave him the bad news. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. This is a fallen world. And our jobs are not all fun. Okay? Sometimes it's just plain hard work. Please note that he, Adam, doesn't get a pass. <laughs> God says, you're going to be working up a sweat just to eat. You're going to be working. Okay, so nobody gets a pass here. But is it just men who are supposed to work? Let's read the rest of what God said before he even created humans and humans. And God said, let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Who all is to work? <laughs> male and female. 
We might have different jobs or not, but we all have work to do. Besides, have you ever read Proverbs 31? (laughs) The excellent wife passage? Here's a few excerpts from that passage. Ready? An excellent wife who can find the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. The writer ends this soliloquy by saying, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. (laughs) I've heard more than a few women say, I'm tired just reading about all this woman does. Me too. Uh, What a woman. (laughs) Oh, but don't miss. There's a little part I, I saved it for now. It's in the middle here. So she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Okay? And if a woman's children and husband will so praise her, I think we can be sure that God will do the same. And ladies, back to the guys who won't work, or if maybe we think that work is only an Old Testament idea, you know. <laughs> if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. <laughs> For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And Paul is speaking to Christians. Notice the word will. Don't you be feeding people who refuse to work. Not able to work? Can't find work? That's different. That's a different issue, okay? But ladies, don't you be feeding some guy who will not work. And I suppose, guys, it's our job not our job to find idle, busybody wives. We shouldn't fund them in there. You've got to have balance here. And those who don't want to work so they take other people's things, you know, things that are not their own so that they don't have to work, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Earn a living, he says, so that you can supply real need. There is real need. And speaking of earning our own living, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Sometimes when we're working, we might feel like slaves. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had a job like that, but I have. But if we remember we are serving the Lord Christ and that He will reward us, 
then why would we ever complain about the wages we are earning? Or not earning. <laughs> we are, no matter what we do or who we work for, really working for Christ. That's what Paul's saying to us. We have to remember that. And those who have trouble with working, <laughs> we should encourage. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Be a part of their lives, even if it means admonishing them. That means reprove or scold, especially in a mild and good-willed manner. It also means to urge to a duty, remind. Okay, that's admonish. Part of every believer's work is to admonish those who are not doing it right to help them start doing it right. <laughs> and what about the weak? Well, we all get weak eventually. Okay, Retirement is not a biblical concept in the strict sense of the word, but we may get to the point where we simply can't work like we used to. We've got to slow down. We may even have to accept help. But let's work however we can in every stage of our lives. Okay, so we've earned our money. But have we been impatient and spent some of our money before we even earned it? That's called debt. <laughs> you can do it with a credit card. You can do it with the bank. <laughs> you can do it lots of ways. It's not something we should do. Always avoid debt. Why? Good question. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Well, now that's pretty direct. <laughs> and if you've ever been late on a payment, <laughs> you know it's true, okay? <laughs> I think that's why the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Look at those two scriptures together. Do we really think our ability to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ is not affected by a debt? The next time a bill collector calls you, let's try it out. <laughs> it's important. Let's look at another kind of debt. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You ever worked for someone and then not gotten paid? I have, if you haven't. Supposed to get paid, didn't get paid. Kind of nice to know that God hears our cries if that kind of debt is owed to us. Okay, I kind of like that. I just wouldn't want to be the guy who owed that kind of debt when the Lord of hosts keeps a tally. Okay? Reading James' next statement to the rich does bring another kind of debt to mind. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now James is okay, he's getting pretty graphic about the responsibility of these rich believers. And of course, he is talking about the evil, the holding back of wages. That's, that's what we're talking about. But let's not forget 
what we read from James last week, that we need to actually help those in need uh, when we have the power to do so and not just talk about it, the Scriptures seem pretty clear here. If we do not help, it is a form of debt. And it would seem a debt to God. All right. We have to earn money. We have to give money. What's next? Always save some. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Wise people have savings. <laughs> Fools spend whatever they get as soon as they get it. Kind of abrupt? Well, that's what Proverbs are like. So, For instance, go to the ant, O oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. She works hard when you can work. They used to say, got to make hay when the grass is tall. And what does she do with what she gains? And who told her to do that? Well, of course, we could say, well, God, because he made her like that. But the obvious question Solomon raises is, can't we be at least as good as ants? I mean, could we maybe manage that? Uh, <laughs> and by the way, this touches on retirement as well. There are a lot of independently wealthy people, retirees. They're going around doing a lot of good works. Well, why can they do that? Because they saved. Because <laughs> they invested. Maybe it was only Social Security, but they invested somewhere, and now they can go around doing good deeds because they don't have to be earning the money anymore. They already did that. If young people save well, they might be able to join that happy crew, by the way, in their 60s or even in their 50s. Okay, It is possible there are people doing this. I know a few 40-year-olds who are independently wealthy now, they earn the money, and all they do is going around doing good works. That's it. That's their full-time job now. So saving is a good thing. But let's not forget why we do these things. Jesus took pains to make sure his hearers always remembered the spiritual when they dealt with the material. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is he saying don't save? No, not really at all. He's saying it's more important to save in the right place. <laughs> If you don't have anything saved here, how will you take care of yourself in troubled times? You know, remember the end? Let alone help others when they have a need. But Jesus is saying all things material touch the spiritual. Save, but be ready to give, carefully and properly. And maybe, just maybe, the Spirit will lead us to give up our savings. It could happen to serve God with our money in a different way. I mean, it is possible. I want to say it's not. John said it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John White, in his book, The Golden Cow, he wrote, 
It is want of faith that makes us opt for earthly rather than heavenly treasure. If we really believed in celestial treasures, who among us would be so stupid as to buy gold? We just do not believe. Heaven is a dream, a religious fantasy, which we affirm because, well, we're orthodox. If people believed in heaven, they would spend their time preparing for permanent residence there. But nobody does. Well, I think he's wrong. We're here. We're... <laughs> but, but it feels some days like nobody's really buying into this. Do we really believe we will have life eternally in the new creation? And we should be ready to always give some. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians has an excellent section on giving. You should read the whole thing. It starts in chapter 9, verse 5. But I want to point out a few things. First is the attitude. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've said it many times. If you don't want to give, don't give. <laughs> if you aren't glad about it, don't give it. Scared? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that shouldn't stop you. That's a reality. But grumpy? Well, don't do it. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. But if we give, God will allow us to give even more. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What happens when we give? Properly and carefully, yes. When we do, God gets thanks. Shouldn't that be our aim? I mean, isn't that what we're trying to do all the time? One more thought from this section. The point is this, Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We talked last week about God's principle of growth, which he built into all creation. We find in the Old Testament this same amazing principle Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Test God. He says, yeah, test me. All right, so he's talking to the Israelites. But this is the only place in the Bible where God says, Test me. Test me. I've seen it over and over. You've, you've heard it over and over. Because it's true. When we give, as instructed by God, we are blessed. Why does the transmission go out in one person's car and not another? I'm serious. I'm amazed how often I find out that those people who give regularly, their appliances just seem to last forever. They just don't break down. Why is that? Is this a guarantee? Becky and I met at a church that gave a 100% money-back guarantee. Really, serious. 100% money-back guarantee. You give 10% of your income to the church, and at the end of one year, if you don't believe God has blessed you, they would give you back every, every penny you gave them. They did. They had a 100% guarantee. They did it for years. You know, God has a different plan for every person's life. None of the apostles had a dime when they died, as far as we know. Okay, let's, let's, let's recognize that this is true. But don't forget Jesus' words. We want our treasure in heaven, the spiritual realm, so that we can receive our gain in the new creation. 
uh, this this 10% thing, the tithe, Malachi calls it a tithe, that's 10%. In the Old Testament times, there were very specific rules regarding giving of a tithe, 10%. Okay? In fact, Jesus even berated the Pharisees, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue out of their, gar- out of their garden. They're, they're, they're tithing every herb, and you neglect the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. He's totally tithe. They should tithe. When you read these words, you kind of think, oh, I guess we better give 10% now, right? (laughs) But the Pharisees lived under the Old Testament rules. So let's not so quickly forget Paul's teaching. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. New Testament believers do not live by a set of rules. Yes, there are some things we are clearly told to do in Scripture, like work, avoid debt, save, give. (laughs) But the hard and fast 10% rule is not one of these. Do I think it's a good principle? Yes. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that anyone who doesn't give 10% is foolish. And I'm confident that God will bless the one who gives that amount. And hey, if one is giving, when should he give? Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. The Corinthians were to give each Sunday. Uh, That's why we have a time to give programmed into our services every Sunday. So... That, and it's the only time we all get together like this, so it's kind of a simple decision for us. It doesn't really matter when you give, as long as you give. The point of all this is that the way we handle our money and possessions speaks volumes about our spiritual condition. Watch how John ties all of this together. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How would you lay down your lives for the brothers? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Huh. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. In other words, he knows when we don't do it right, too. That's okay. So he ties all that together. Last week, we discovered that Paul ties our monetary sacrifices to the sacrifice of Christ. That amazing truth is highlighted here by John, too, which, I hope, might bring the fifth thought about money to mind. And the last thought is, as is often the case, the most important. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Who will bring them to the heavens? Well, the one who owns the heavens. That is how they could gain the kingdom. Jesus is saying, always remember, it all belongs to God. As Nehemiah prayed, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it. 
the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. All belongs to God because he made everything. And also because he preserves everything. If God's attention wavered from the universe for even a fraction of a second, all of us, every, everything would cease to exist. I mean, do you get, he preserves. Paul extended these thoughts. Of Jesus Christ, he said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All the universe, and even governments, yes, like our own, <laughs> exist because he created them and holds them together. So all humans owe all to God because all belongs to him, okay? <laughs> And for those of us who believe there's an even more glorious truth, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What greater reason is there for Christians to recognize God's ownership of all we are and have? And contrary to what many think, in Christ, material wealth plays no part at all in our salvation. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Slave or free. A wider economic gap we're not likely to find, yes? <laughs> but when it comes to salvation in Christ, there's no distinction. What if a believer does, though, choose to attend to the poor over the rich, or the rich over the poor, as James was dealing with? If you show partiality, you are committing sin. Our thinking about money is really our thinking about who owns all this. And if you don't do it right, it's sin. <laughs> it's kind of amazing to me that God gives us dominion over 90% of what he gives us or whatever figure you arrive at for you. We know he doesn't need anything from us. I mean, he could always just make more. He could make an entirely new universe if he wanted, right? I mean, he doesn't need anything from us. So why does he want us to work, avoid debt, save, and give? Why? He wants us to remember, in all our interactions with possessions, that it really belongs to him. And he wants to bless us with the principle of growth. That's another reason. And believers who forget their love of God as they grasp for more and more, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are believers. It isn't being rich that's the problem. That's not a problem at all. It's the desire to be rich. But that was last week's sermon, so it's the practical that we're interested in today. <laughs> Money isn't the important thing. 
It isn't the most important thing. But it is important. At least a little. After telling a parable about the management of money, Jesus said, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? Hmm. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All the treasure we manage reflects our spiritual health. It's a little thing, maybe, but it reflects all of who we are. We need to work. We need to avoid debt. We need to save. We need to give. And we need to remember it all belongs to God. But mostly we need to put our treasure in heaven. Because all the wealth of this world is temporary. Peter wrote, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? All the hard work we do, our efforts to avoid debt, our scrupulous attention to saving, our generous giving, even our total recognition of the ownership of God, all will be exposed to that great fire. What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Well, how much do we want to survive this consuming fire? How much treasure do we want to store up in heaven? That's the question. We need to live our lives with our money like we should live all of our lives, such that people ask why we live the life we do. The question then for us today, how will we change how we live with our money in light of our eternal life? Will we always work? Will we avoid debt? Will we always save some? Will we always give some? Will we always, always remember to whom it all really belongs? Let's pray.